when I'm at my lowest points of like, I just want to, I just don't want to do anything. You know, I just want to, I want to go in my room and not talk to anybody, but I'll think I'm building my story. Mm. I'm building my story. This is for my good. This someday is going to help someone through their story. Everyone you meet every single day is fighting a battle you may know nothing about. We're all in the process of overcoming. I'm Justin Wren, and my story has been heard by millions of people through my book, my TED Talk, podcast interviews, TV shows, professional fighting, and my foundation, Fight for the Forgotten. I believe we are all overcomers if we choose to overcome. We all have the option. I've been given the opportunity to overcome childhood trauma, sexual abuse, immense bullying, depression, suicidal ideation, substance use disorder, and I am a two-time suicide survivor. We are here to have conversations with some of the greatest minds of our time. Get ready to be inspired and to receive the tools and game plan to win this fight called life. Thank you for being here, for showing up for yourself. You, me, we have overcome 100% of our darkest days. I'm not done yet, and neither are you. This is your invitation to overcome. I am so grateful that you're here, Jamie. I'm excited to be here. Thank yeah. you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. This is a, a real treat for me. In fact, uh, I think we're at 28, 29 episodes, and you're my first female guest. Awesome. Technically. <laughs> I mean, Amy, Amy's been there from the beginning and on every episode. But I think that, yeah, I don't know why it happened that way, but I do know that this episode is supposed to happen that you're supposed to be an incredible guest for me because that's who you are. You're just an incredible person. Thank you. <laughs> and your book is Happy and Strong. Create your dream life while enjoying the journey. And I love the picture of you, just a strong boss babe on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then beside it is flexing arms, you know, coming out almost like wings. And you have some incredible people that have endorse this book one of is our common friend ed milet a peak performance yeah. expert but ed, he said edward the forward too yeah yeah i saw that i actually read it while you were <laughs> recording with amy and i just want to read what he said about you because jamie is the real deal which is rare she is a great example of how to max out every area of your life and proof that you can have it all you will feel that as you read this book this is a must read for all entrepreneurs awesome yeah and I think something very special about you and your husband, Sean, is how we came together. And I'm thankful for Ed and me being on his podcast so that we could all meet. But then yeah. I got to come out and speak at the Fight for Your Dreams event at Y'all's Wealth Bowl for yeah. one of your businesses. Yeah, that was fun. That was awesome. Yeah. And you guys raised uh, at least $25,000 and that looks like it's going to be matched. And yep. we're so excited about that with fight for the forgotten. And that's something yes. close to your heart is philanthropy. Yeah, definitely. Um, I w very grateful that Ed introduced us. I saw you on his podcast yeah. and I thought that you'd be perfect for that event, which you were, it was, so it was, um, we do, a, it was our first event back live after COVID, and uh, the theme was fight for your dreams, fight for other people's dreams, and, and you came to mind, you know, to, to go and share your story and your background and upbringing and where you've been and where you've come from, and, and it, was, it was a fun day. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the support of Fight for the Forgotten, but I do want to read this as well. Um, it says, through Jamie's journey from poverty to success... By becoming one of the top female earners in the world, 
You will discover how to win in all areas of your life, start the happy and strong journey, and begin creating the life you desire. Yeah. That is something really special. How did, how did this book come about, and what does it mean to you to be happy and strong? Uh, well, the Happy and Strong book was born kind of out of the COVID pandemic of just seeing how many people were going through hard things, mm. um, not just because, you know, maybe a family member was sick, but just because of the mental wellness, like it was taking its toll. And um, we're now, our nation is more unhappy than they've been in 50 years. Yeah. Record divorce, record uh, suicide. Yeah. And I just, um, because I am a leader in several businesses, I have lots of people that look to me as, I don't know, example of being positive you know, through it all. So I was getting calls every day. And just crying with people when they were dealing with, you know, certain things. And then the George Floyd thing happened out in California. People were really ha having a hard time with that. And, um, and so something was just kind of weighing on my heart, my mind to do this, to write this. Uh, Ed had inspired me, Ed Milet had inspired me a few years, probably before COVID, uh, to start the Happy and Strong movement to help people with this. But the book, I wasn't, it was, I wasn't on my mind. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about doing it. I didn't want to write a book. Um, but I just felt, kept feeling that I should. And so um, when I decided to finally do it, uh, all the right things kind of came to help to my aid. My mom came to town uh, to ha hang out with the kids and she helped with the pickups and the drop-offs and the cooking so I could focus and, and get that knocked out. Wow. Well, uh, Amy's wrote two books. I've wrote a book and I always say that it was one of the toughest things I've ever done uh, mentally. I mean, I'm a fighter and so mentally tough is like part of the business. Yeah. And I feel like that's a strength of mine. Yeah. Were there any challenges in writing this book or did it just kind of come and flow? Honestly, I felt like, like God was helping me write that book. You know what I mean? Awesome. So it was actually writing the book was the easiest part. It was all the work after writing the book, you know, just, I, that's an all new territory for me. I didn't know anything about marketing or publishing or anything like that. So it was like I was learning something new every single day. Writing the book wasn't actually that hard. Um, I had been teaching the classes on some of these things already and just kind of just organizing it. Um, it is different than the classes that I teach though. It does have a lot of my story kind of woven through it. Well, I'd love to get into more of your story. I know that you you have a, a, a great story to tell, and that's overcoming a lot of things, childhood and um, poverty. And now what's so cool about your story is you help others um, manage people's wealth, and you help the people you, that you serve, you help them come into more financial st stability and mm -hmm. to create uh, a pathway to create their own wealth. And that's something that I think speaks volumes about you that goes back to your personal story and then also how, I mean, we can relate because of Fight for the Forgotten. You guys are fighting for people that might be overlooked or feel forgotten by not just serving the ultra wealthy, the highest income earners, but you help people set themselves up to where if that is what they actually go after and what right. they really want, you guys help them get there. Yeah. So I have, I have a few different businesses, right. but in all of them, it's kind of trying to build leaders, hmm. trying to help them become mentally tough, believe in themselves to be able to become a better, more successful version of themselves, but also not just be leaders, but hopefully spark the, the, the fire of philanthropy and serving hmm. others. 
Um, but yeah, one of the pieces is learning about money because if they have money, then they can do something with the passion that they have to serve others. Right. And so let's go to your childhood a little bit because I know that there was some challenging moments and there's been difficulties where you've had to rise up and overcome. And there's even been limiting beliefs of like, maybe you couldn't be that. And then something switched, something changed, but set that up a little bit, your childhood. So, um, yeah, I come from, there's a lot of people in my family that suffered from alcoholism, drug addiction, uh, both sides of my family. My, my grandfather, one of my grand, one of my great grandfathers died in the streets of alcoholism. On the other side, my great grandfather was shot behind a bar Mm. in a bar fight. Wow. And their children, my grandparents, were five years old at the time-ish, both of them. And then they grew up to become uh, very uh, addicted to different things, alcoholics. And um, they suffered with that a lot, and they were very abusive to both of my parents. So my parents had to deal with that their whole life. So um, so growing up, my parents had kind of uh, suffered from, from growing up in a really harsh environment, um, with abusive alcoholics as parents. And so when I was born, we, they had lived in California and they moved to Montana, uh, the middle of nowhere, <laughs> northeastern Montana. Uh, probably no one's ever heard of Medicine Lake. It's a town of like 325 people. Wow. Yeah, like it's not the beautiful Montana that you see in like Yellowstone. or <laughs> It's <laughs> flat wheat fields for as far as you can see in any direction, like, you know, six hours. So uh, very rural, very small thinking, it's Friday night. I could tell you which bar stole most of them are on tonight. Mm. And so nothing changes really out there. And um, I grew up again in my household where they suffered from poverty. We were on welfare, food stamps, WIC, you know, those things. Mm. And, um, and drug addiction and those things. So uh, I was the oldest of six kids. And there's a big age gap between me and the middle children. So I kind of felt a sense of responsibility to, to help out and... Again, we grew up uh, very poor where, I mean, there was times that I'd wake up in the morning and I could see my breath. Like, there's no heat in the house. And I remember grabbing my sisters from their rooms and bringing them into the bathroom and plugging in a little, like, space heater and doing their hair and singing songs and hoping that they didn't feel what I was feeling. Mm. Uh, Sad and stressed, you know, that, uh, do we have enough food? And, And so I grew up with both my parents divorcing. And uh, fighting about money, I could hear them arguing, my dad and my stepmom arguing at the kitchen table of which bill can we pay and how are we going to eat and those things. So I knew I didn't want that. Uh, I knew I wanted to be successful. I didn't know how. <laughs> Again, I, I, I never went to college, didn't have that opportunity. No one, no one growing up said, hey, Jamie, you can be any, you know, parents tell their kids, oh, you'll be the president of the United States or something like Never once had a conversation like that of you could be anything you want to be. So I came out to California uh, after high school with the idea of paying my way through school, maybe helping my family back home, finding a good job. And uh, I started working in corporate America. I worked at a health club. I worked in a gym. And I worked my butt off. I was working usually six, seven days a week, 11 hours a day, uh, just trying to get ahead. I really wanted to not just be successful to help my family back home, but what I wanted was to be so successful that those younger siblings, my sisters, would look at that and say, okay, it doesn't matter where we came from. All that matters is what we want to do with our life, where we want to go. Hmm. Where do you think that 
is there a specific moment or even what was the youngest age where you feel, feel like you felt that fire that my life's going to be different and I'm going to help others lives be different too? I know I was always kind of trying to make money. I was always trying to like do different things. I remember being uh, pretty little and making all these things and then my poor little sisters, like child slave labor, I would have them like go try to sell it, (laughs) you know, because I wanted to, again, not have that feeling of having no control, you know. Uh, I remember, you know, my uncle, who was an alcoholic, would steal my money. Hmm. He would, he would take my money because he wanted to go buy a six pack or something. And, um, and so the adults around me didn't provide any, you know, security a lot of times. Wow. Well, I, I've been flipping through your book and I'm so excited to have it now. Thank you so much. And I, because I know you and because I know the people that have mentored you and I know how many people you've mentored, I, I really hope that our listeners will, will go get this either on pre-sale or if it's out now, please, please, please go get this book. Do yourself a favor. But on what you just said, I um, did one of those bunny ears in the book and, and there's a quote here. It says, it didn't matter where we came from. All that matters is where you want to go. How important do you think that is for anybody, no matter where they are and where they've come from, what they've gone through? You say what matters is where you want to go. Yeah. I think a lot of times we can have a victim mentality. Mm. You know, we can say, you know, well, this happened to me. Um, I was you know, physically, uh, I was molested as a child, you know, these different things that could happen. Um, and it could be something that holds us back, something that we hold on to. And I just believe that there's, there's, there's two of you. There's the guy or gal that is, and there's the one that's meant to be, that could be that best version of yourself. And a lot of times we're, you know, it's the up and down, it's the trials and errors, and it's the hard things, the adversity, the, the things that happened with my uncle when I was, you know, 10 years old, or, you know, the, I was, I was left by my stepmom in another state one time. She forgot me. And, uh, hours later when, you know, she finally got home when I, there was no cell phones back there when I, you know, when I was a kid. And so I finally, I went into a store and asked to use the phone and I called her like, I'm still here in North Dakota. (laughs) What do I do? She said, find a ride home. You know, these, how old were you? Oh, I don't remember. I was pretty young. Um, I don't know, probably 11 or something. I don't wow. remember. But uh, It's really it, young and that can be really scary. Yeah, and I or had to was. call around to find someone to come get me. And, yeah. and I, didn't even know, I didn't even know phone numbers. And I was like just trying to look in the, 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 the phone book. But, you know, just things that, you know, it made me independent. You know, these, these the hard things. Um, you know, I could hold on to that thing that happened with my uncle. Uh, I was for a long time pretty bitter about that. Um, obviously didn't trust men very much. Um, I think I was a, about 10 or 11 when that happened too. And my parents were in the other room, mm. both of them, when it happened. But everyone was, you know, they were drinking at the time. Yeah. And so when that happened, um, you know, I I held on to it for, for a while, but then I learned through personal development and you know, just trying to work on me to forgive, you know what I mean? And as soon as I really did actually forgive him, forgive him, I I looked at him differently. I looked at him as this eight-year-old boy who's 
dad put his hands in the fire as a punishment mm. and burned him and then sent him off and got rid of him because he was too expensive and sent him to a foster home from eight to 18 years old. He grew up in a foster home in a really rough uh, upbringing. You know what I'm saying? So I looked, yeah. I looked at him with love and sympathy and it made me heal. Does it make sense? So, yeah. so all these things that happened um, made me a better leader, a better communicator, better at helping others through their stuff. So all these hard things that happen to us, they happen for us. Mm. I've had, I've had, you know, lots of different things that I've had to overcome. But, but all of them, when you're going through them, you're like, why me? Why again? Right? Yeah. And. I'll tell you, some of them that happened, I probably should, should have learned a lesson earlier. <laughs> and I had to get that lesson a couple times, you know, to, to really learn it. But all of them later, in hindsight, it, it helped me grow. Hmm. It helped me grow into that person that can lead thousands, help others, and, and do all the work that I do today. Well, I just have to take a moment real quick and thank the sponsors of this show on it. Onit.com slash overcome, you can save yourself 10% on Alpha Brain or New Mood or Total Human, some of my absolute favorites. And I'm just so grateful for their support. This show wouldn't exist without them. So thank you so much, Onit, for sponsoring the show. And also thank you for helping me get optimized. Total Human Optimization. I also coined something maybe cheesy, but I think it's kind of cute. It's total humanitarian optimization. Oh, they help me when I'm going into a long meeting for development work, community development. And I just love the way that I feel getting into that flow state faster, feeling like I stay there longer and have had so many friends try it and absolutely love it. If you haven't tried it, you can try it for free. There's an alpha brain free trial. I think you get 15 days of free alpha brain. So please, What's the risk? Put it to the test. I would love to hear your feedback on it. Try it. The world-class nootropic that uh, really helps increase clarity, your memory, and I think it helps me engage in conversation and just feel like I'm firing on all cylinders so much better. So on it.com slash overcome, you can try it for free, Alpha Brain for free, and uh, you can save yourself 10% on all on it products at overcome or on it.com slash every time overcome every time the on O's. it on it.com slash overcome and at checkout don't forget to type in overcome yep thank you so much that's a really great point and i think i think it's easy um especially for people i don't know if you ever heard of the ace scores uh mm-hmm. aces they're the adverse childhood experience survey mm-hmm. and if you've had four or more aces and there's only 10 have had four more, you're 10 times more likely to attempt suicide in your life. Right. Um, and I mean, I know from going to treatment and some other things, because they have you take this test, um, I have seven out of 10 or eight out of 10. And so I can have a lot of quote unquote excuses um, or quote unquote valid reasons yeah. to play the victim. But I know that that's never served me. Right. Um, and there's been times I have and had to overcome those. But it sounds like you and your upbringing, like, like there's plenty of those reasons. And so if you are mentoring somebody who has gone through something, yeah. because you've had a lot of mentors in your life, yeah. um, what would be one or two key things that you try to do almost as yeah. a pattern interrupt to say, hey, right. I know these things have happened, but you have to move forward. Yeah. Well, I try to understand that <clears throat> there's, there's an uh, affirmation I have that says, 
all this is for my good. Mm. And there's a book called Think and Grow Rich. And Napoleon Hill, when he wrote that book, it's the number one like special, you know, uh, self-development book of all time, right? And in that book, he says, every adversity, no matter how hard, no, every single adversity, not some, but all adversity has the seed hmm. of equal or greater benefit. So equal, so the harder, the better, you know, so equal or greater benefit if and only if you look for it. So a lot of times when these hard things happen, we just, we kind of sink into ourselves. When we have negative thoughts, what does that do? It attracts more negative. We notice all the hard stuff. We, you know, when it rains, it pours kind of thing, right? Um, but instead, if I say, okay, if it's for my good, what's the seed? Hmm. What's the seed? How has this been? And there's some hard things that could happen. Maybe the loss of a child, you know, suicide in your family. There's hard things, right? But this is for my good. You know, you've had hard things happen to you, but those things, what happened from it? Fight for the Forgotten yeah. was born from that. Something yeah. that's so good. That's doing mm. so many great things over the, you know, across the world and the anti-bullying and, you know, so, so it, it's a gift. It's yeah. a gift. And so again, when we're going through it, we don't look at it that way. But, but if you can learn to be thankful, Oprah Winfrey said, when you can be thankful for this hard thing, then you can have on like this incredible personal growth from it. So if you're going through it, you know, I would say have someone to reach out to. Like you got to talk to someone, right? You have to have uh, a good circle uh, that will love you enough to challenge your thinking. You know, I think we have all these great friends that, you know, they, they love us, but they let us do what we're going to do. And they give us our space. And I like having people around me that will challenge me yeah. when I'm down or when I'm plateaued or even, you know, worse when I'm in my, my lowest point to say, come on, let's go. Let's, let's go look at this instead. Let's do, let's focus on something else. So I think that your associations are going to be a powerful thing, but just trying to find the good or one of the things that is a pattern disruptor for me is focusing on others. Mm. When I'm down, when I'm in my lowest point, if I can get myself involved in a, like anxiously engaged in a good cause, you know what I mean? Like I can be doing something for a service it kind of gets me out of my own head and doing, serving others, you learn to um, express love in different ways and it brings more joy into your life. And then you still might be down. You might be still, you know, having these hard things that you're dealing with, but it lightens that load. That's really, really good. And you also reminded me of a story real quick that um, my, my coach and my training partner, Rafael Lovato Jr., he is the undefeated MMA world champion. He has since had to medically retire because he was diagnosed. This is a, a the first ever father-son black belt from America in jiu-jitsu and a family legacy. In his whole life, he was working towards becoming the MMA world champion. He's a 12-time at least uh, world medalist in jiu-jitsu. He's a six-time world champion. And something about four weeks before his opportunity to fight for the world championship, he was diagnosed with a, a brain disease um, or a brain condition called cavernoma, right. which are blood, blood pockets or clots in the brain. And that's not good, especially mm. for a fighter. Right, of um, course. And so he was told in the fight camp he wasn't going to be able to fight. And anyways, during the fight camp, he read think and grow rich. Mm -hmm. And the quote, he, he highlighted it like crazy, but the one 
that he looked at backstage because he went through every opportunity, went to doctors in numerous countries, Mm -hmm. uh, the UK, the US and Brazil to find a doctor that would approve him and did all sorts of brain scans. And he kept reading that quote, like with every adversity is equal or the seed. Yeah. Just like you said, I'm slaughtering the quote, but that is what drove him in backstage before uh, the fight. He opened it, read that um, sentence, and then he even had that, pr- he has it printed on his shirts now at his gym. Yes. He went in there and won the world championship. Yes. So, I mean, that book and, and that type of thinking may be mentally tough. Hmm. And so, obviously, if he's a world champ, he's mentally tough, yeah. right? I mean, that's a given. Um, but sometimes we have our heart set on something so much, right? We're just working so hard day and night, like so focused on that. But that's not really the ultimate plan for us. There's there's mm. a better, bigger plan. And so sometimes we have to be stopped in our tracks because we are so determined to have this. And when we're stopped, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel good. It's like, you know, this was the plan for generations. And but there's a bigger, better plan. And so it, it has to take something so abrupt like that, which can be disheartening, but mm. to redirect us to something better. Well, I know you're big on writing your goals down, reviewing them in the morning and at night. And so how do you hold tightly to those, your vision, but at the same time, open-handed where you're like, okay, if there is something that happens, I'm going to keep moving forward in this new direction. Yeah. Well, I think instead of just focusing on my goals, right? It's not just like my goals, my short-term things, or even long-term things. It's more of like a vision for my ideal life. Mm. So I, I remember I was challenged one time. This was back when I was like super broke, living in a 600 square foot apartment, trying to make <laughs> like my first business, you know, get off the ground. Super excited, super hopeful, but yeah. super in debt. And um, uh, a mentor challenged me to create my ideal life. And they said, when it's all said and done, you know, the money, the accolades, whatever, what's all over, what are you doing it for? And I remember he said, I'm, I'm leaving. I got a meeting to go to. We had like a church meeting or something to go to. And then he, he's like, there's Mexican food in the, in the kitchen. I'll see you guys later, right? And everybody just went and ate. But I sat in that little back pool house for hours until I had clarity on what that looked like. What I wanted for my kids that I didn't have yet. My husband, my relationships. And every business plan that I ever do or goals that I ever do, I just rip off that page and staple it to the back of the new one. Mm-hmm. So it's... It's not just, like I said, a goal that I'm trying to hit, uh, an award or a fight I'm trying to win or something. It's long-term, the person I want to become, that second version of me. And does this goal align with that? And if so, awesome. I'm all for it. And if not, well, maybe I just need to get it off my plate. Maybe it's not that important. Mm, That's really good. Well, I I keep opening your book because uh, there's so much good stuff in here already, even though I haven't actually read it. Uh, there's something that I think goes along right along with this. So you, you said, if you're not growing, you're dying. Yeah. It's chapter four. And then there's a quote from Albert Einstein. It says, failure is success in progress. How do you look at failure as success in progress? Like, do you have an yeah. example of a story that maybe you thought you failed? Oh, gosh, everything. <laughs> I failed <laughs> at everything. But you were able to shift your perspective. Yeah, I this mean, is progress. I failed, I failed at everything. Um, you know, I started out in business at 22. Uh, I was working at a health club. 
I was working in a gym. I looked like I was probably 12 years old, and I didn't think anyone was going to take me serious. I had moved from Montana to California, so I didn't know a lot of people. It wasn't like I could go talk to friends and family. I had zero support uh, in the beginning. And so I looked around, and it was a very male-dominated industry, mostly men, mm. older men. And I just kind of said, you know what? The only way to grow here is to fail forward, you know? And so it was like... Uh, Stay confused, stumble forward was my, my <laughs> mantra. You know, if I, if, I, if I know it all, then I've stopped growing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I should be confused <laughs> all the time, learning new things every day. And some of the failures were big ones that were embarrassing. You know, I had told my family I was going to, you know, do these great things, you know, these big dreams. And I'd have these huge failures. And I was getting in debt. It wasn't happening um, I was paying my rent on my credit card, you know, uh, trying to trying to make it look on the outside like everything I had it all together and I had a plan. Um, but I had lots of different failures in in business, in um, in relationships, in uh, with my kids, you know. And I always wonder, like, oh my gosh, am I going to screw them up? <laughs> you know, uh, I oh, wish I would have done that better. Uh, oh, that was a mom of the year award, you know, things like that. But I, I learned, and every time I would make a mistake, I would try to seek out someone who is where I wanted to be. For example, like, they could be a role model or they could be a mentor, either way, but in marriage. Well, who has a marriage that, you know, I would like to, to have? Or who, who's maybe in spiritual life or maybe in business life? And I look for people who are just kind of, I'm on that same path. I'm just, they're just further down the path than me. And then I would try, and most of the time I actually got great feedback, but I would try to, to ask them questions. It was like they're on the other side of this, you know, field of landmines, and they're already there. So I said, okay, tell me which direction to step. Where do I step to avoid the mistakes, avoid the landmines? So I made less mistakes using great mentors and being coachable to them. Mm. Um, but still lots and lots of failures. <laughs> well, being, being coachable is a great point. And you've had great coaches and mentors like Ed and Rich. Can you, can you share with us how you see someone living a life that you want to live or similar? Yeah. How do you attract that person? How do you let them know right. that you will be coachable? Right. And that it is worth their time to invest in That's such in a good you? question. So I, I, I feel like most people will say things like, well, I'm not there yet. Ed Milet's too big of a guy for me to reach out to, right? Um, they put themselves down. I just, I guess, I don't know. I just thought, worth a shot. What, what, you know, the worst thing they could do is say no. And I actually, one guy who's, uh, he actually coached Ed and I, I remember I reached out to him. I'm like, you don't know me, but you, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be coachable. I'm going to be the one. And he laughed. He goes, you're just a little peanut. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, you're too small for me to you know, really waste my time with. But then he, he was so nice. And he said, all right, all right. I'll do a call with you and your husband. And you guys can do, you know, ask some questions of me. And that started an amazing beautiful mentoring relationship. He's like a second dad to me now. Wow. And um, so again, it, it doesn't hurt to ask, right? But I think that also I try to be in service to them. So Ed knows, like, if he needs anything, he's gonna, he can ask and I'm going to say yes. You know what I mean? Um, with his new book coming out, buy Ed's book. You know, it's, it's I would tell your audience Ed's book's going to be phenomenal mm -hmm. that it's coming out June 1st. But um, Do you remember what it's called? Yes. I'm forgetting. Uh, one more, uh, The Power of One More. Ooh. The power of one more. The power of one more. 
And um, anyways, so so I'll try to be in service. If there's someone that's maybe in your industry or, or what you want as a coach or just maybe some advice from, I would call their staff. It's like, what's, what is he like? If it was like a certain Cuban cigar or a certain kind of bottle of wine or a favorite restaurant for him and his spouse, I'd get that information from the spouse and I would just send it to them, this gift from me. And I'd say, you know what, you've, you've, you don't know me, but you've impacted my life. Mm. And I'd kind of, you know, write a short thing like, you know, hopefully we'll meet someday or whatever. And then a lot of times they would tell our staff, hey, if they ever call, like put them on my schedule. And just give me a few minutes. And that's all I need to get that one question answered, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> so, great. So I'm hungry for growth. And that's why I say, you're, if you're not growing, you're dying. Mm. Because, you know, the, again, there's that, that second version of you. And it's this, you know, and sometimes it's hard. But you want to keep moving forward. You don't want to stay stagnant. When you stay stagnant um, in the same place in personal growth for too long, you feel like you're plateaued. But what's, that's not what's happening. You're actually going backwards. backwards. And one of the keys to happiness is progression. It's progression. Mm-hmm. Stagnant, me staying stagnant makes you feel um, unfulfilled. And so, you know, this prog- just personal growth or, you know, that you're not the same guy that you were last year or the year before. And that's what most people, like last year looks a lot like this year and the year before. And they're kind of just drifting through life, reacting to whatever's going on. Oh, this is going on in my family or this is going on in the news or this crazy thing is going on in the world. And, and they're letting uh, other things dictate their emotions their actions, their, you know, their feelings, mm. um, and they're reacting to stuff instead of having clarity on that, who they're becoming and what they want out of life, that, that ideal life, and gravitating towards it, no matter what the adversity is, no matter what the failure mm. is, you know, they just keep failing forward and keep growing. Yeah, well, I think you just jogged my memory of a friend that was in Psychology 101, and they said there's these three basics. But before I get there, I think what you said about progress mm-hmm. and if you're stagnant, it's almost like life. It's got a visual in my head. It's almost like it's a, it's an escalator going mm-hmm. down. So you better keep taking yes. these steps forward. Uh, I know that's the way in, in recovery you and Sean, you know, allowed me to come speak still after y'all selected me as a, a speaker. Mm-hmm. I relapsed, had to go to treatment and that spoke volumes to me, you know, mm-hmm. because in the moment I was feeling shame, but I also knew yeah. that this setback was really a setup to, to really get it this right. time. And so today I'm 163 days sober. Uh, yes. You guys raised funds for us and, and the Fight for Your Dreams event. I was blown away by the people oh, that were yes. there. Such special individuals. But one of the things that treatment I was thinking was, man, this recovery thing, It's these. there's a lot of different 12-step programs, but I better keep taking these steps and not get yes. off of it. Um, you know, the, the elevator's broken, it's so like I better the, take the, the steps. the escalator. Yeah. And so sometimes that's, that's like the kid on the down escalator running up mm-hmm. and then they stop and then guess what? They go right back to bottom. Yeah. And that's a lot of people, that's how they treat life. It's yeah. like, oh, I'm excited about this. I'm going to try this method. I'm going to try this diet. I'm going to try this. Yeah. <laughs> and then true. they run up, and then they stop and then they start again. And that wears on your your psyche. It mm. wears on your self-esteem. Yeah. You know, and when we have self-discipline, it increases our self-confidence mm. and how we see ourselves and how we love ourselves. Yeah. And so when we're, when we keep doing that, you know, down to the bottom, then we stop believing ourselves and the promises that we make to ourselves. We stop trusting ourselves. And so our, our confidence is low. That makes our self-discipline low. It makes it easier to go back into these mistakes. Yeah. I, I remember when I was, I, 
got the opportunity to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And I remember the first couple of days, like we were kind of aggressive with it and we would yeah. be charging forward and then we'd stop. And it was harder to get started again yeah. instead of on the last few days we like realized telling and, each leg to take a yeah, step yeah when <laughs> like, we had go. guides just saying hey poli poli in swahili which is slowly slowly and just just keep stepping yeah and then we'll take less breaks mm-hmm. and, and and it'll be easier to keep moving if you just right. stay moving stay in movement movement is healing movement just keep making yes. progress just keep going forward keep progress and so what it reminded me of thinking about progress my friend was in just psychology 101 and he said that they basically had one class that fired him up. And it was basically the key to happiness or the study of happiness. And it said, everyone needs three things. And I thought you could riff on this, but it's, uh, the first one was purpose. The second one was community, if I'm getting this order right. And the third was make personal progress. Right. So everyone needs purpose, community, and personal progress. Yes. And so how do you kind of measure or know that you aren't stopped, that you are continually making progress? That's such a good question because a lot of times we are in a funk, Mm. but we don't know it because we hit our goal. Yeah. But we stop growing. Mm. And so, yeah, I think that community is such a big one. We are who we associate with. You know, if we're around negative people all the time, we're going to tend to be more negative. We are... You know, the, again, our, the, the some of the five people we associate with most people. You know, we've heard that before. Um, so our associations, our community is so important. When we're around positive people that are supporting our goals, our dreams, our whatever we're trying to accomplish to become a better person, that's going to help. <clears throat> I think that purpose is a big one because um, it's, it's more than just you. If it's just about me, like let's say in business, I'll help people that say, oh, I want to make a half a million dollars. Great. When they get there, then what? They plateau. They stop growing. They stop getting better. When that happens, apathy sets in. Hmm. Mediocrity starts to set in. Um, Discontent or unhappiness. They're like, oh, I worked so hard for this and I'm still not happy. I haven't found happiness. And so happiness is not something that you're chasing. So many people say, oh, when I get married, I'll be happy. Or when I have kids, I'll be happy. Or when I move, I'll be happy. Or when I get to this certain income or get a promotion, I'll be happy. And that's not what happiness is. It's, it's finding joy in that journey. You create your own happiness, which has a lot to do with purpose. And a lot of the purpose has to be outside of you. So when it's about others, like you found purpose in yes. Fight for the Forgotten. Yeah. Right? Not only does that bring you joy and fulfillment and lifting others and making a difference in the others' lives, it keeps you wanting to get better. It keeps you growing. It keeps you from being stagnant. And so people say, well, Jamie, you know, you're making multiple millions of dollars. You're so young. You know, why do you keep working so hard? Why do you keep doing what you do? I'm like, well, first of all, I love it. Right? I love what I do. But, but second of all, it's, like, it's not about me. It's about, about these other people. And so I got to keep becoming a better leader. I got to keep becoming a better communicator. I got to keep learning new things to be able to do the different stuff I want to do. Yeah. And those moments of, of apathy or even can cause atrophy, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where you had developed this muscle and then you stop and you can lose it. Right. Um, you have had a couple of big moments in your life where you could have had all the excuses to stop or to not get into PT and start developing those muscles again. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember Sean and you sharing a story and I'd love for you to share it where, where Sean thought he was going to lose Sean, your husband thought that he was going to lose you. Mm-hmm. And 
you've had a couple of health scares, but I thought you could, if you're willing to share, please share those moments where um, it was scary. Yeah. I think the one that you're talking about was uh, we were at a hotel. Um, Our parent company had did this leadership gathering. Ed was there, a few other of our good friends. And I just started after dinner, I went back to the hotel room and started having these pains, like really bad pains and sweating and cold. And he's like, do you want to go to the hospital? I'm like, no, I'll just, I'll just wait till morning. I'll go to sleep. Barely slept all night. I was just cold sweats all night. And I woke up in the morning. I said, I'm not going to go to the meeting. You go to the meeting downstairs. You know, I'm going to go to the bathroom and then I'll call you if I think we need to go to the hospital. So I tried to go to the bathroom and I walked to the bathroom and I passed out. Mm. And was, thank God Sean was still in there because he caught me. I would have slammed my f- teeth into the stone floor right there in the bathroom. But uh, he caught me. Wow. Um, he was trying to, you know, slap me, pour the cold water in my face. Thank goodness it was a, it was a nice hotel and there was a doctor there and they came. They couldn't find my blood pressure. They couldn't even read it. They called the ambulance. Scary. Yeah. I mean, I'd like, it's probably TMI, but like went to the bathroom. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was, my eyes had rolled back in my head. And uh, the ambulance took me to the hospital. I was kind of in and out of consciousness. And I was in the hospital. And I remember it was fr- I was freezing cold. And they just kept piling hot blankets on me. And um, and they came to me and they said, we, oh, they put me in that big, you know, the big tube, the CAT scan. Yeah. I'm like, oh, shit, this is good. This is serious. This is serious. You know, I, I was so scared. Um but then I remember <clears throat> the doctor kind of waking me up a little bit and she said, okay, I need you to sign this. And it was to like remove my ovaries or something. I'm like, I'm not signing that. I just had one child. I have four ch- children now, but I only had mm. one child and I wanted to have more kids. I'm like, I'm not doing that. They're like, you're internal bleeding right now. And this is what's happening. And we're going to probably do this and you need to sign it. or you are going to die. And so I remember signing it and then just kind of praying like, okay, like, you can move a mountain. You can make this mm. hospital crumble. You can fix this. This isn't a big deal. <laughs> Do it now. And I was kind of like trying to exercise as much faith as I possibly could. I'm like, fix it. And kind of a little bit demanding, right? <laughs> but um, at that moment, my body got warm for the first time. And I remember waking up, like kind of opening my eyes and saying, Sean, you need to call the office. You need to do this. You know, I kind of gave him a laundry <laughs> list of things. He's like, what? What are you talking Still about? Still thinking about work. Yeah. yeah. And he like, he wheeled me into the, they wheeled me into the operating room and I was in there a long time. And, um, so Sean was worried because it was, wasn't supposed to be that long. But I guess when they went in, when they went in, the, 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 the my body had scar tissue already and, and killed itself. Wow. So the doctor came out kind of skipping with pictures and he said, well, exactly what we thought happened, happened, but her body healed, healed itself. It's this is a miracle. He said, the, um, he said the, I've only heard of this happening one other time. I've never seen it before. And he was a vascular specialist that flew in. And, um, but that's what took so long. Flew in to help you. Yeah, to do wow. that surgery. And so that's what took so long in that surgery was because they were searching for um, something else that could possibly be wrong. So all he did was clear out the blood. But it had uh, it was a blood vessel that burst and ca- and caused uh, a lot of internal bleeding. But um, I, I you know like I said I, I I know that the mind is a powerful thing, mm. and so I've used it in business. I've used it in different how, things. But that was like a, a big one. I had to <laughs> to yeah. use it for. Well, how old was your child at that time? Daisy was only two. My oldest. Yeah, I remember Sean tearing up, uh, sharing the story because he was about to lose you. And he had Daisy at two and yeah. he was 
already thinking, and he, he is a total optimist. Yeah, he is. But the thought came into his mind, am I going to be a single dad? Yeah. How am I going to do this? And, and, and please help her and I'm praying. Mm-hmm. And so I think it might've been a demanding prayer, quote unquote, <laughs> but, but I also think it's expectant and there's, there's a, there's a difference there, like just expecting great things or good things, even on the brink of defeat or disaster or devastation or even death. Mm-hmm. Um, that speaks volumes to almost your, your character, your, your, your makeup of mm-hmm. just being determined mm-hmm. and expecting good things, even though the worst can seem to be on the horizon or right there in the moment. Right. Yeah. And, and on this, I'm, I'm using this almost as a guide because <laughs> on page 164, um, you say as busy and focused as we are fighting for our dreams, we can still be in the moment and enjoy our journey on the way there. Mm-hmm. I think that's an incredible perspective because so many get lost in three weeks from now, three years from now, 30 years from now, what it's going to yeah. look like that you can't enjoy the moments. And yeah. if I relate it real fast to when I had malaria and they thought I was going to die and, um, you know, 65 to 70% of my bloodstream were parasites. Oh my gosh. And I was nearly in an irreversible coma and I was vomiting red and green blood and bile. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, my veins were collapsing. They couldn't get medication in me or IVs in me because I was so dehydrated. And it was five days I didn't urinate, not once. Oh and when I finally did, after they finally got some IVs in me, it was pure black. It was called black water fever. And mm-hmm. 50% of people that get it die, 25 to 50%. And there was this moment of clarity I had. I'm fighting for this dream. I'm here for a purpose. Like, Everyone else is scared. My mom's calling me on Thanksgiving day and I'm on a satellite phone begging me to come home. And I'm like, look, they know how to treat it here. Why would I go back there? They never see it. Mm -hmm. And I'm here for a reason and a purpose. I'm fighting for this dream. I remember I had this moment where you're, you're telling Sean, take care of these things. I was looking at the nurse saying, Hey, I'm so thankful for you. And she's like, just let me stick you. And I'm like, it's, it's going to be okay. You're, I'm telling them you're doing great. Like I can see that. Really? Uh, I haven't thought about that story in a long time, but just telling, telling them how grateful I am and, uh, and, and showing them some like American music on my phone and stuff when I could actually see fightfortheforgotten.org. You can go check out Fight for the Forgotten, the foundation that I started. It is my passion project. It is something that I love so much because of the people we get to help. We get to help the pygmy tribe who adopted me in help themselves. We say opportunity is greater than charity. Charity can be great, but opportunity is just always better. That's why we've drilled something like 80 water wells already, providing over 30,000 people clean water. We've started sustainable farms, bought back over 3,000 acres of land for the people who originally owned it, put it in their name. We built 32 homes, and now we're about to start a health center, a school, and a marketplace. They're going to have a maternity ward, a pediatrics unit, and a dental suite. You can join the Fight for the Forgotten Fight Club at fightfortheforgotten.org. We would love, love, love to invite you on this journey to join this fight arm in arm with us. Our fight club, it's a monthly giving club. You can give $5 or more a month and that empowers us to empower people. Thank you for being on this journey with us. I invite you to come along for the ride. It's been absolutely epic. 
putting love and compassion in action and fighting for people. Fightforthforgotten.org. Join our fight club. And, um, but I think, I think fighting for your dream, but also remembering, hey, tomorrow's not promised. I've got to enjoy yeah. it now. Um, what are some of the things you do to enjoy the success that you have right. and to really not let those moments slip by? Yeah. Well, I have actually a chapter in my book called Create Memories Versus mm. Getting Things Done. Actually, another publisher offered me a book deal just on that chapter. Wow. But it's, Congratulations. Um, I probably won't write another book right, right now, but um, that's kind of a, an affirmation or mantra of mine of create memories versus just getting things done. You know, sometimes we're so driven towards a goal. Maybe it's the world championship in MMA or uh, maybe it's, you know, getting this, you know, dream of yours to come to fruition in the Congo. But we're so, you know, determined sometimes that we're thinking forward, that we're not living in the moment. I, I used to suffer from this. I'd like plan this great family vacation and then we'd get there and I'm thinking about the next thing. And not in just enjoying that time with my kids. And so I have um, basically like putting little things, it doesn't have to be big things, but little things in that will uh, create memories, create bonding, you know, with, with, with my kids with each other, with kids with me, my husband and I. And so instead of, I remember one time we went to Disneyland and we got there and they gave us this little map. And I remember pulling, we just walked in. I remember pulling out the map and be like, okay, we're going to hit Pirates of the Caribbean first. And then we're going to go do this. And we're going to, I started planning the whole day out to save time and uh, make it around the park and, and not have to do too much walking. And I just saw the look on my kids' faces like, oh my gosh, like mom is like making it boring, right? <laughs> so I, I was like, you know what? Forget it. Where do y'all want to go? Like, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? Let's do this. And we had the best day hmm. just being in the moment, having fun. We walked probably four times more than we probably normally would have. <laughs> My feet were dying and, you know, getting back to the car that night. But it's like a memory that we'll never forget. You know, it was that time together. We just, you know, it tried to be in the moment. I remember one time we, uh, we went to the movies, middle of the day, all the kids, and there was no one else in the movie theater. You know, we just, we didn't plan it that way, but we were, we were the only ones there. We watched this movie, and at the end when the credits were going on, there was like this fun, positive, like upbeat, fun music playing. And Sean and I went down in front, and we just started dancing. Yes. Right? We're like, come on, guys, it's a dance party. Do you know how much I paid to have this movie theater <laughs> all to ourselves today? I'm like, come on, this is a big deal. And the, the kids were like, really? So they all came down. We just danced for, you know, about five, ten minutes until the, the, the credits were done. And we were walking out. I'm like, man, like, that was, like, you guys understand how much I paid just to have this moment together? <laughs> They're like, come on, Mom, you didn't do that. I'm like, no, nah, it was just by chance. But again, a memory that didn't cost anything mm. um, versus, and we were a little late to the next place we had to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just but being in that moment and capturing something that can, can create some type of bond with, the, with whoever you're with. That's really special. Yeah. That's, that's really neat to see. Sometimes Amy and I have impromptu dance parties. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> we actually had one last night. We actually had one last night. And it was a lot of fun. Um, so that's really special. And I hope that some of the listeners will, will find time for an impromptu dance party for sure. Mm -hmm. There's one more quote that I wanted to read. And it says, because you are really gifted in one of your businesses to, to really help people financially become secure, stable achieve their goals and dreams. It says, would you be happy if you made millions of dollars only to turn around and have to spend it all on doctors trying to buy back the health you sacrificed? Right. 
And I think a lot of people don't think about that, um, you know, living in the moment or even preparing for the future mm-hmm. about how important your personal health is because really our body is our actual home. We right. can get other homes, but this is the home we live in. This is the vessel that we have. You only have one. You only have <laughs> one. And so you can make the money, but if you don't take care of yourself yeah. and then you even have to invest all that back into yeah. preparing the or repairing the damage that you've done to it. Yeah. Um, why did you write that? So, you know, I think that it's not just your physical health, but your mental health as well. Mm, yeah, for sure. Is such a big deal. And I see so many people going after goals, like working so hard or, you know, they just work and they have so much on their plate and they neglect their health. Mm. It's kind of the one that gets put on the back burner yeah. first for a lot of people. Some people, that's their number one, right? But most people, it's like kind of the back burner. They're going for their career. Then they have, you know, marriage maybe or relationships or kids. And yeah, I'll get, I'll, I'll start exercising, you know, first of the year <laughs> or else are eating better, you know, and they, uh, they go quickly through drive throughs or, you know, eat a lot yeah. of junk. And this is one that I learned the hard way. I learned a lot of lessons in that book through great mentorship and, you know, great experiences, but, but a lot of it was the hard things too. And, um, and that was me kind of in the beginning of my career. I'm like, Oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. You know, <laughs> I'm just working so yeah. hard. And I was in the office late in the office early, first one there, last one to leave. And, you know, just sacrificing, health. And I had worked in a health club. I worked in a gym. You know, I mean, I, I knew these things, but again, I was like, okay, when I hit this goal, I'll get back on it. I'll, you know, and I just kind of put it off for a few years and, uh, wasn't taking care of myself, mental or physical. And, um, I started getting all these aches and pains and I just thought, oh yeah, I'm a busy mom, a busy, you know, I had a business with probably about 5,000 people that I mentored and coached. And, and so it was, I just thought, you know, chalk it up to, I'm, I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm working too hard. But then one day, uh, it was a Sunday and I remember kind of doing my hair and my husband was behind me. He said, you have like a little bald patch or something right here. He was totally being nice because it was a patch of hair that, that big, the back of my head completely bald in about four days, this hair had fallen out. So, so of course I freak out. I go to the doctor the next day and he's like, oh, that's autoimmune and sent me to a rheumatologist, starts drawing tons of blood. And she, the doctor said, oh, this is a lupus. And I said, okay, good. At least I know what it is, right? <laughs> At least it's not this scary unknown, right? I thought it was just stress or something. And I said, what causes it? What cures it? Tell me what to do. I'm coachable. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. She said, there's no cure and we don't know what causes it. It could be your lipstick for all we know. And I wow. knew enough at that point of just mental toughness and working on myself and personal development to not listen to negative people. And yeah. that was a negative statement. So yeah. I was like, no, we're going to leave. I'm not leaving. I'm leaving. So I went and found a new doctor. But Keeping my lipstick. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, you know, this is, I'm not listening to this. And I knew that if I can take myself from growing up in poverty and not having, having a single example of success in business to be multi-seven-figure earner business success through learning these mental toughness principles and, you know, I mean, these things that the brain is very powerful. And Mm. if it can do that, it can heal me too, right? So I set a date, a goal, uh, read it every morning, every night, just like all my other goals (laughs) of being completely healthy, that I was energetic, that I was... um, I look great. I feel great. I'm in the best shape of my life was my, my, my affirmation. I love that. And, uh, and I, I, uh, 
once I made a decision to work on that area of my life, just like business, just like anything else, the right people came into my life, the right books, the right stuff that taught me, you know, healthy eating. Uh, I mean, I I knew exercise, but it was different. You know, I learned it different. I learned self-care. Here's the thing. Again, we're all busy and we all have not enough time, too much on our plate. I learned that if I'm going to add something to my plate, I have to be willing to take it off. I had to make myself a priority for the first time. Before it was like those 6,000 people, you know, all the people that I'm kind of mentoring and coaching, what are their needs? Then it was the kids' needs. Then it was my husband Sean's needs. And I was last. Mm. And so my cup was never full. I was always drained first. And so if you're, if you're not taking care of you, if you're not doing that self-care, then you're not going to be the best in business. You're not going to be the best with your spouse. You're going to be cranky and short with the people that you love and that you care about. And so I learned self-care. I learned, so again, it was a, it was a hard um, adversity. It was rough for about 18 months. Um, I remember during that time, I was, I remember one time I was laying on the couch. I could barely move. I couldn't walk up the stairs. My, my muscles would fatigue halfway up the stairs. But I was laying on the couch, just completely zero energy, tired, hurting. And I heard my kids playing upstairs, my two oldest. And I heard them playing upstairs. And then it started to turn into like an argument over a toy. And I couldn't get up. Hmm. And I'm laying on the couch thinking I'm like such a bad mom that I can't even go upstairs right now. I'm crying. Just laying there with my face on the pillow. And... I just kind of like hated myself at that point. Like, how did this happen to my body? Like, my body won't even function. Um, so it was a hard 18 months. I lost a lot of weight. My eyes were sunken in and gray, and my bones were sticking out. I think I lost like 35 pounds, and I was already thin to begin with. Um, but I kept, <laughs> I kept out that, you know, reading my goals, learning the things, improving my lifestyle, working out different ways. Um, and, and I'd go to my doctor, my rheumatologist, every like three weeks and they take my blood and he said, you know what? Labs don't lie. You could tell me you're feeling better or not, but the, mm. you're getting better. Keep doing what you're doing. So I did, even though I wanted to quit like a thousand times. <laughs> um, but again, mentally tough enough and disciplined enough at that point to stick to it and never went on any medication and just reversed my, you know, that autoimmune disease. I've been autoimmune free for about, um, about 10 years, 11 years. Wow. That's huge. I mean, that's an incredible that's an incredible overcome story and journey that you, I mean, I think for me, that's something that's just finally starting to stick these last five, six months. Got to take care of yourself. Self-care isn't selfish and you're not going to be good to anyone else if you're not good to yourself first. Right. Self-full, not selfish. (laughs) Yes. And you can't be, um, you can't be selfless if you're not, taking care of yourself first and um, or at least as a priority. And I think it's hard for certain people to think that way, especially being a mom, a business person, all all these people relying on you. Right. Um, And so sometimes you got to learn the hard way. And uh, but man, when those lessons stick, I mean, it's so beautiful to see your story and and how that's benefited. One thing I do want to slip in here is I talked with Sean today and I was like, you know, do you have anything you'd want me to ask her or share? And I mean, I, I'm so grateful I get to call him one of my friends and you guys, both friends and even donors and, uh, and for you to be here on the podcast now. But one of the things he said was just that she is 
the absolute best woman I've ever known. And she is my biggest inspiration and she never ceases to amaze me. And uh, she's focused, she's determined, she gets what she wants, she does it and she helps so many people along the way. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he was just gushing about you. And to know maybe where you came from and the journey that you've been on and where you are now. Like, I think stories like this, stories like yours, your story specifically needs to be shared. And so I, I, I encourage you to keep sharing it, keep going. And I know you will, cause that's who you are, but I just wanted to at least share that. Thank you, Sean, for telling me that about you. And I see it, I know it. And it's, it's really incredibly special, but to someone that I have an awesome husband. Yes. He's incredible. Um, but to somebody that might not see that in themselves, oftentimes it's, it's the hardest to see it in yourself. I mean, yeah. Sean's saying it about you and I hope that you see that in you um, because it is true. But to someone that, let's take it back to maybe even just finances. Mm-hmm. Someone that has struggled there, made the wrong decisions, um, and feel like they'll never get out of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe for you in the moment with lupus, you thought on oh, the autoimmune stuff, I'm never going to get out of this. Yeah. When things got started getting better, it felt worse. It's like you're cleaning mm. house and you're st- stirring up dust and it would feel worse. And my doctor would say, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Just keep doing what you're doing, you know. Mm. And but that's in anything. Like if you're in the middle of it, you just want to quit. You just want to go crawl in bed put your covers over your head and suck your thumb and have a pity party and not deal with anybody or anything and just, you know, just cry if you have to. But, um, you know, that's, like I said, that discipline, if you want it bad enough. I had a time, during that same time, my daughter was having some issues. And she's my oldest. And she was probably kindergarten-ish. And she was having, like, this learning disability. And it was so hard. When someone in your family is going through it, it's, I think, even harder than when you're going through it, yeah. especially when they haven't, you know, told you exactly what's going on. And she was just having such a hard time. And I remember one time she told me, she come, she crawled in bed with me and she, uh, she was getting, she was having a hard time in school and the teachers did not like the behavior stuff that was coming from this learning disability. Um, she's not autistic, but she has sensory processing disorder. And when she was young like that, she had a lot of, you know, it came out as behavioral stuff. And she crawled in bed with me, and she's a sweetheart, but she said, Mom, I have an idea. Remember, this is a kindergartner. She said, mm-hmm. maybe we could find a doctor that could take out your heart and my heart and switch them so I could be a good person. Uh, and it broke my heart Yeah, that she was going through this. Mm. You know, um, So I was going through a lot at that time. And um, with her, there was some stuff at, with my business. Uh, big thing happened around that time in my business. Probably the hardest thing, the hardest failure in my business, all happened at the same time. Um, maybe that contributed to the lupus thing. I don't know. Just was too much for my my body and my mind to handle. But um, when you're going through it, you know it's you don't look at yourself as like this champion, right? Right. And so sometimes you get to the edge, and you can't do anymore. But all you can do is all you can do can't do more than you can do, but all you can do is enough. It's one quote from this great, this great guy in business that I learned from, but, um, and Ed says that a lot too. 
but I was doing all I could do. But then you look for a champion. You look for someone that maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's someone that can encourage you just to keep going. Hold your hand, drag you <laughs> for a little bit of the time. I had to have that happen a couple of times, you know. But, um, but when you're down, one of the things I guess is that I've done over the years is when I'm at my lowest points of like, I just want to, I just don't want to do anything. You know, I just want to, I want to go in my room and not talk to anybody. But I'll think I'm building my story. Mm. I'm building my story. This is for my good. This someday is going to help someone through their story, you know. And um, I remember one time I was supposed to be this like two-minute talk at Ed's event. And they said, share your story. I'm like, I don't have a good story. I grew up in a trailer on the edge of town in Montana. No one wants to hear about that. You know what I mean? But they said, no, you need to tell your story because it, it's relatable. I said, okay. Right? And when I would say it, I would be very, I would very be very vulnerable. I would be very emotional because I hadn't achieved yet the things that I wanted to do for my family, the person I wanted to become, the example I wanted to set for my sister, Jessie. I remember during that time, my sister, Jessica, was back home still. She was nine. And she was raising the twins who were the youngest, a boy and a girl who were babies. Because my stepmother was addicted to the narcotics that they had put her on. She's had about 50 surgeries. And she was bedridden on narcotics, complete drug addict. And the nine-year-old is raising the twins. Wow. And I remember one day my sister calling me and talking to her. We're chatting it up. And then all of a sudden I hear, Mommy's dead. Mommy's dead. And Jesse said, oh, let me put the phone down for a second. So she went. There was chaos and screaming. She comes back to the phone after a little bit. I was like, what happened? What was wrong? She said, oh, my mom's tried to get out of bed. And she was foaming at the mouth, and I had to drag her back to her bed and slap her and put water in her face. I said, why don't you call 911? She said, oh, no, they said never call 911 because they could take us away. And I finished talking to her, and I remember walking down the hall. I was at my office, walking down the hall to the bathroom by myself and looking myself in the mirror and just kind of cussing myself out at that time like, what are you waiting for? Like, there are people depending on you. There, I imagined every time something got hard and I didn't want to do it, I didn't want to get better, I didn't want to move forward, I would imagine my sister picking through the cushions of the couch to try to find change to go buy milk for my, for my brother and sister, you know? And so, again, when you're focused on others, it keeps you going. When you're focused on others, when you... All those hard th times, I would think of my, my sister Danica or my sister Jessica and... If I don't win, where does that leave them? Mm. That's big. Stacking reasons. Yeah. Stacking yeah. reasons, motivation, things to get you up in the morning or get you over those those humps or through those slumps. Um, just keep reminding yourself and giving you more and more. It's uh, in the cage. It's the person with the most reasons that's that usually wins. For sure. And there's a different look in your eye. Um, yeah. In there, if it's I, just you, about a title yep. or if it's a, a real why, no like something that like reason. you got to win, like mm -hmm. people are like, you're doing it for somebody or yeah. for something like, well, talking about that, tell me a little bit about philanthropy and why you're so passionate about that. Yeah. Cause you've been on the board of, uh, nonprofits. Yeah. Um, you've, uh, yeah, you've been overseas, you've done missions work, yeah. you've, uh, supported us and many other organizations like what what got you yeah. into that? And well, so 
I don't know, it's just kind of part of who I am now, but anytime we do any event, like the Fight for, yeah. for Your Dreams event that you came, came to, that's, anytime we do any type of event like that, that one was about you know, recognizing them. Again, we hadn't been together live since COVID. Uh, training, teaching, inspiring them. It was called Fight for Your Dreams. You were the perfect guy there. It was but so awesome. They, I mean, they, there was even a ring, and we there had was a ring. three fights, and I got to be a judge. We uh, had boxing. We had boxing. We had three fights with giant inflatable gloves. It was so much fun. Yeah. But we, we have a lot of fun. But yeah, you, like you said, great people. Such great people. Um, but anytime we do any event, uh, we try to have a charitable cause that we raise money for as well. Um, so we'll do, you know, different things that touch people's hearts. But what I'm trying to do in all my businesses, even the financial one is to build leaders, like equip them with leadership skills, real leadership skills. Also teach them money. So, cause it, so they can attract and retain wealth. If they have leadership skills and they have money, they can change their world. They can change their world. But we want to have, a, if it's in, we went to uh, Costa Rica and we found an orphanage to donate there. We went to Palm Springs one time and we had a, it was a home for uh, adults that were living with severe cerebral palsy. And how they made money was they had secondhand stores. Mm. So everybody brought donations for their secondhand stores. So we'll try to do something. And I'm just trying to light each, all those people that you saw in the room, there was hundreds of people there, yeah. but light a little spark of philanthropy in them. So maybe one person's passionate about kids with autism, another maybe children with uh, cystic fibrosis or, you know, kids in the Congo or whatever it may be. If, again, they have those leadership skills and wealth, they can go now make a difference. Mm. And so we're trying to build philanthropists. What does that word mean to you, philanthropist or philanthropy? You know, it's, it's whatever it is in your heart to go and correct an injustice. Mm. So there's so many great causes in the world. I'm really passionate right now about the, the sex trafficking, the kids. Yeah. That's huge right now. It's, it's uh, on a rise, especially during COVID. It spiked like 100% growth. In that. It's crazy. Um, and so, again, it's whatever touches your heart. But for me, I mean, again, I, I, didn't, I didn't think very big when I started in business. Luckily, I've been around people that have stretched my vision, yeah. but they've also encouraged me to continue to grow, to work on me, to be more like holistic of having goals, not just in business, but with faith, spiritual growth, growing in my contribution goals. I remember one time I was on, the, on Ed, my, Ed My Let's Jet, and we, were, we went to a show in Vegas and then came back. We went to dinner that night, and he was asking us, there was a few of us on the plane, he's like, what are some of your biggest goals now? And we, I was already making multiple seven figures. And I started telling him, he's like, oh, I had no idea that almost all your goals are contribution goals. You know, I, I want to be able to write a check and not have to think twice if something touches my heart. Hmm. You know, so, um, so that means I have a lot of, you know, growth to do. And I have, you know, I, I don't know. When you have, if it's just about an achievement, an award, uh, or an income level, you're eventually going to reach it, hopefully. And then what? Hmm. When there's a finish line, it means you're finished. I don't want to be finished. Yeah. I want to keep getting better. I want to keep making a difference. You know what I mean? So when, when your goals are more uh, contribution goals, it causes you to continue to work on you, to keep getting better. And it's way more fun. It's way more fulfilling. I don't know if you've heard this story. That's so great. Thank you for sharing that. Really, thank you. Well, thank and... You. But Matthew McConaughey was asked, I think at like 15 or something, who's, who's uh, his hero. Mm -hmm. And 
he told this person, I think, I think he said, it's me at 25. Yeah. And then at 25, the person came back and goes, so are you your own hero yet? And he was like, <laughs> nope, not at all. I'm not my own hero. And they said, well, who is it? And he started thinking about it and he goes, oh, it's me at 35. Yes. And so always in the future, like the next yes. version, the next, I don't know, um, 10 years, like yeah. whatever that is, not having that finish line, I think is no so important. No finish line. Yeah. yeah. People say, why haven't you retired? I'm like, I'm not going to. I love what I do, <laughs> but it's like, you know, I don't want to be finished. I want to, I don't want to retire. What am I going to do? Sit around and what, go on Pinterest? And, no, I'm not going to do yeah. that. I want to, I want to be uh, lifting others, making an impact, working in the lives of others is the most fulfilling thing that I could be doing. Mm. I've done lots of different business stuff, but um, I don't know. I just, uh, something that will tug at my heartstrings and I'm like, all right, let's look at that. Let's, you know, when you have time, you know, I built a life that I could have time freedom, you know, and so I, I, I love it. I love Matthew McConaughey though. Yeah. I, I read his new book. Did you read that? I didn't the, see Green Lights yet. Yeah. Uh, I read it. Amy did. Yeah. He has that in, in that book, wow. I think, or maybe I just heard him say it, but um, yeah, I think when I got clarity on that person I was going to become, that second version mm -hmm. of me, uh, it was, it was inspiring to me, but I said, I want to be a hero to my sisters. I want to be a hero to my clients. I want to be a hero to my family. I want them to look at me as an example of if she can do it, I can do it. They all know where I came from. So they know there's nothing special about Jamie. There's no, no great talent. I didn't have any musical abilities or sports abilities. <laughs> you know, I mean, I didn't have any great talents. So they, they know, hey, if she can do it, I can do it. And that was kind of just one of the goals I had is to be able to at least have people say, all right, well, what did she do then? So that's why I wrote the book. Here's mm -hmm. the practical, mm -hmm. simple things that you can do to add more joy, more happiness, and more success in your life. Wow. We have a couple more minutes. And before we wind down, I think you have two more questions. So okay. first one would be, what is legacy to you? So legacy to me is I have this goal. Again, my goal was to change my family's tree. Again, my great-great-grandparents, both great-great-grandpas, died from alcohol, one behind a bar in a fight and the other in the street. Then my grandma was a very, uh, a very abusive alcoholic. Um, and again, even my parents, they're great, you know, but they struggled because of their upbringing with having hope of a better life, you know. Yeah. And so I wanted to be the one that changes that. And uh, there, that movie, The Knight's Tale, when he tells them, you can change your stars. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of like <laughs> my idea. Like, I'm going to change my family's that. stars, right? Yeah. And um, so I, that's, that was my idea. And I have this legacy goal of my great, great, great grandkids will have a picture of Sean and I over their mantle. And they're going to say, hey, to their kids, hey, that's your great, great, great grandpa Sean and your great, great grandpa Jamie. And they're the ones. Hmm. They're the ones that didn't give up when it got hard. They're the ones that kept fighting. They're the ones that changed it all for all of us. Um, so now I have in my business plan, it's, it goes 100 years past when I pass away, when Sean and I pass away. Um, wow. And so basically we're setting up a trust right now that any of our posterity, any of our like great grandkids or cousins or any of them, any kids in our family uh, for 100 years deep who want to do any type of philanthropy, missions, you know, any work to service work that this charity will pay for it and they can have no uh, reason financially anyways to not go. And uh, I don't know. I think it's so incredibly special. I, I'm excited about it. I'm so excited about it. It's firing me up probably more than any other goal that I've had. 
And uh, I don't know. I just think that for me, um, I want I want them to not say, oh, she's successful. But she built champions mm. that made a difference. Hopefully my kids will take some of that idea and go out and change the world somehow. And the people that we've raised up to be successful leaders, that they'll go out and start their own charities or at least be contributors in, in, uh, in great ways around the world. Wow. That's incredible. I know you have a flight to get to. So final question mm-hmm. would be, and wow, first off, how could that not fire you up more than any it other does. goal a hundred years from now? <laughs> I like my grandkids are still going to be doing philanthropy off of like, what I was that doing. That was great. Jamie yes. and Sean. That's incredible. <laughs> what is, what a, what a, that's, that's expanding my spectrum, shifting, changing completely my spectrum of like what's possible. I love that. And, and, Final closing, you you started saying like, there is no finish line, but I wonder at the finish line of life, if you could, let's say, put up a billboard to the world to say something, anything, one or two statements, three words, whatever it is, if there was a message that Jamie could tell the entire world. So... You know, there's two things that come to mind. I had this thing in my business plan, like it's going to say she built champions, right? <laughs> because <laughs> the people that I've mentored have not what I've done, but what they have done that's rippled out <laughs> to change others' lives. But as far as that billboard goes, I think I would want it to say you can do it. You can do it. So it doesn't matter where you're at right now. If you're at your lowest point, I've, I've helped mentor and coach people that have become six and even seven figure earners and philanthropists that they couldn't even get gas in their car to come see me when I met them and they were in, you know, their lowest points. So it doesn't matter where you're at. If you're feeling like everything's falling down on you, doesn't matter where you came from. doesn't matter what happened to you. It's like a, that Marvel movie, Black Panther. I love that. My kids are very much into Marvel, but you remember his suit? Whenever he got hit, he would like soak up all that and then, you know, use it to come out more powerful. Like that's adversity to me. And so, you know, it doesn't matter where you're at. Use that. That's, to build your story. And so if I can do it, you can do it, right? And yeah. it's, just, it's just learning new habits, new behaviors, new little bits and tweaks in your self-discipline and in your belief, having the right people maybe around and, and to look up to and maybe kind of pull you across you know, that finish line. I think to me that there's, there's no finish line, but you know, I want to put my pedal to the metal for as long as I have gas in the tank. Wow. Wow. I don't think I can end it any better than that. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was absolutely, this was amazing. Thank you for stopping in Austin to do it. And, um, yeah, I love you. I love Sean and I'm so grateful for y'all. Oh, you're Um, awesome. The impact, the legacy, the purpose, the mission that y'all are on. And you are obviously happy and strong and all of our listeners can be that too. I hope that they'll go out and get, please go get this book, happy and strong. Where's it available? Pretty much anywhere books are sold. They can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target. Uh, it's on pre-sale right now. Yeah. May 17th is the, the is the launch date. And uh, we're excited. So, yes, thank wow. you. I hope they will support it and, yeah. and uh, give it to anybody that uh, needs a little bit more of this yeah. in their life. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jamie. You're welcome. Thank you. Mm, thanks. Hey, don't forget to send your Overcome stories to overcomepodcast at gmail.com. And also, rate, review, subscribe, and follow Overcome with Justin Wren.